Welcome to the Efficient Spend Podcast, where we help marketers turn media spend into revenue. My guest today is Manson Chen. Manson, thank you for being with me today. Paul, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. I'd love if we could start with just learning a little bit more about your background in optimizing marketing spend. Cool. So I've had almost a decade of direct response marketing. Um, most of my experience is in Facebook media buying and creative strategy. Most notably, I would say that um, my experience at Calm has been super top of mind for people. And most recently, I was at Cash App leading the performance creative team. Um, so working at these two companies, I would say especially Calm, really helped me build up my chops for growth marketing and creative strategy and what it takes to scale and grow and build up a creative testing machine. And you've since moved on from there to start Parabolica. What was the kind of onus for that? Yeah. Um, at Parabolica, I primarily target health and wellness brands to work with. And that's mostly because I really like the mission of making the world a better place. So um, I felt that when I was at Calm, I felt that, especially during COVID, that the work I was doing was making the world less insane and more palatable. And that's the reason why I quit uh, Cash App in December and went out on my own. Um, I just want to help health and wellness businesses do their job better and get customers and make their customers happy. And specifically with AI-generated creative, I know that you've done a lot of creative work and a lot of work in the paid marketing space. Why focus specifically on AI-generated creative as kind of that primary thing that you're promoting uh, at Parabolica? That's a great question. Uh, I think the biggest reason is because I hate writing creative briefs. And, um, you know, at my previous companies, especially for UGC ads and to a lesser extent, 3D motion graphics, um, you have to write a brief, send it off to a creator. It takes about a week, get it filmed. Oh, shouldn't have said this, or they forgot to say that. Reshoot take another week. Um, for motion graphics, it's quicker. Um, at Calm, we worked with in-house designers that were great at creating what we called oddly satisfying visuals. For those, it would take up to a week to develop, to develop, a, to develop a new concept. So with AI specifically, I can replace all that with a GPU and the funny thing is, I don't even have a fancy GPU. Uh, I rent Google's GPUs. And so I'm able to generate a 30 second net new visual concept with AI in like 10 minutes. So that really speeds up creative testing. For performance marketers, we all know that creative testing and velocity is the key. And I think AI is the best suited for that. 
I don't think it will replace UGC ads or 3D motion graphics or all that. I think it's a nice compliment and it'll augment uh, all of these other visual sources. For sure. You know, I think people watching or listening to this have probably seen ads from Calm and Cash App before. Specifically for Calm though, you mentioned kind of satisfying visuals. And that is something that I think about when I've seen Calm ads before. There's these really cool landscapes, this accompanying um, audio. I guess, what were the performance goals at, at Calm for, for these assets? And how did you think about kind of developing those and maybe what were some top performers? Great question. Uh, our ultimate goal for media buying at Calm was an LTV cap goal of 100%. And we had a three-year payback period. Our cost per purchase in the US, our LTV was about $100 in, on iOS. And um, LTV on iOS was about 10% higher than Android. But our main goal was driving toward that LTV cap goal on our creative tests. If you break that down, there's going to be your cost per purchase, which you can think of as a cost per subscribe. Uh, one step above that is cost per trial. Uh, and then another step before that is the cost per install. So um, with all the creative testing that we did, your creative concepts are going to have different funnel shapes. So for instance, you can have an, an ad for instance, uh, our Harry Styles launch had a great cost per trial, but the, most of the people didn't actually end up um, converting to a subscription. Um, what those ads did was they targeted females 18 to 24, really young. Our demographic was mostly uh, older folks, especially, especially females. Um, so you have to be careful about the different types of ads that you test and run because they're gonna have different funnel shapes. Our bread and butter at Calm was the oddly satisfying stuff. Uh, a lot of cutting, if you know, remember kinetic sand cutting or sand rakes or um, soap cutting those ads all perform very well. Uh, another subset of concepts we called tunnels or wormholes, where you know you're going to have a visual of um, a point of view going down a wormhole, and there was a I remember a blue wormhole ad a few years ago that we we had tested and launched, and it immediately it immediately took up three quarters of all Facebook spend. Um, and we were spending like three to six million a month on Facebook at the time. And when something like that happens, you have to be super careful about down funnel metrics, um, trial to subscribe rate, because you're going to great, get great trial rates, but that necessarily won't translate into trial to subscribe and ultimately uh, your LTV CAC. So um hope that answers your question yeah for sure i think 
anybody who's managed a paid social campaign can relate to a single ad taking a large chunk of the budget, spending a lot of money, and then not necessarily performing to those downstream metrics. Do you remember if those campaigns were optimized towards installs or were they actually optimized towards those in-app events, whether that be like a trial or subscription? Yeah, great question. We were optimized for um, a trial start. Um, So our purchase event was actually mapped to um, a trial start as well as a, a straight out subscribe. So our purchase event had a sort of, you know, wasn't a perfect um, trial start or a purchase. It was kind of both. So um, it was a little funny there. Um, I think further down the road, we optimized, we started optimizing for a subscription with uh, a custom event. And that also performed well. Um, I think that we weren't able to get as much scale with that optimization event. Do you, do you remember um, with these, you know, satisfying visual ads, what the, the call to action was and why do you think that those work so well? And the reason that I ask is because, you know, when I think of elements of a high performing ad, you want to make sure that you're calling out the appropriate audience. Um, there is a message that resonates with them and there's a really strong call to action. To me, visuals and really great visuals is one component of it. Um, but maybe if you want to break down those like elements of those visual ads, because I can't seem to remember exactly whether or not there was copy in that. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so the way I think of a performance creative, you're going to have the visual and you're going to have the message. Uh, You can't have a good ad without both of them working in tandem. So with um, all the visuals that we test, we test scripts and value props just as much. Um, So you can have a great visual and you can have a crappy script or a hook and it won't perform. You can have a great script and hook but a crappy visual that doesn't capture attention and it'll flop. So you really need the best of both worlds. At Calm, we had the luxury of having two main pain points, sleep and anxiety. So um, we were able to test a lot of different uh, scripts related to those. For instance, three reasons why you have anxiety or did you know that, um, you know, 90% of people that use Calm report better anxiety levels after 30 days, things like that, where you can play around with scripts and value props underneath an overall um, umbrella of pain points. So um, visual, script, call to action for us was typically a start your free trial today or install now, very basic. Um, We had a, a call to action end card in our videos and 95% of our ads were videos over 40 seconds long. Um, So we did a lot of selling in our videos with scripts and visual sequences and things like that. Right. And it was that combination of those kind of uh, longer form 
um, ads with the really unique visuals. Because again, I know now we're going to see more of these kind of satisfying visuals and ads and a lot of companies are doing it. Um, that's something we're testing. That's something I see, see a lot cheese grater, you know, different things like that. Right. Um, and so you kind of need a little bit of, of both. Do you remember, I want to move on to cash app, but do you remember any kind of like unique AB tests or experiments that you ran at, at calm and anything that might be benefit beneficial to, to the audience? Um, we, very rarely ran A-B tests at Calm. Um, when we did our creative test, we would usually throw about four uh, ads in an ad set that were grouped by concept. And we let, um, to an extent, Facebook pick the ad. Uh, in our point of view, spend is a big um, factor as well, as well as you know LTV CAC and all that, because we were targeting growth. So if you put four ads in an ad set and allow Facebook to pick, that's a signal that that ad will scale as well as um, hit your goals. So we very rarely ran A-B tests because once you isolate something working in an A-B test, for instance, red versus yellow, does that mean you're always going to go with the winner in every ad? Not really, you know? Um, you're not going to always run yellow ads from then on, for instance. So, um, as far as, um, any tests that we've run that might benefit others, I think the mental hurdle that I see talking to other businesses is, will this ad work for us? Like, is this visual going to work for us? Mm, uh, brands want to, you know, safeguard their, their ads and what they look like. But from my point of view, for performance ads, you can have the best of both worlds. You can have, you know, super cool visuals that are captivating and engaging. Um, and, and they bring in a lot of customers. So I think the hurdle that most people, I think, would want to look at and face is, their openness to be risky and test and take big swings with their performance ads. Yeah, I think that's something I've experienced and encountered at self. The difference in thought process behind a more brand upper funnel ad and the performance ad and what is on brand and what messaging is on brand. For example, self is a credit building platform that empowers people to take control of their credit score. And from a brand perspective, a lot of that messaging needs to be super um, positive and warm and welcoming. But a lot of times in direct response performance ads, the things that works the best is when it's a little bit more about the um, rejection aspect of trying to get something in your credit card getting rejected, right? Or even comical situations of trying to buy something and not being able to do due to bad credit. So I think that there is a definitely a different perspective that you take with these kind of performance focused ads. 
at Cash App, I know you spent some time there as well. That's a, another very unique brand that's a little bit different and also stands uh, stands apart, I think, amongst other fintechs in terms of, you know, the their their design, their logo, their their feel. What are some takeaways there? What are some um, really high performing ads that you tested the Cash App? Question. Um, I really love the fact that we were very uh, open to taking uh, risks with uh, our creatives at Cash App. We targeted a very young uh, demographic, Gen Z, people that were are historically under uh, underbanked minorities. So um, we had a very young look and feel. What I learned from working there was that you have to fit your creative to the channel. Um, at Calm. 90% of our ads were oddly satisfying 3D motion graphics ads. Those won't do as well on Snapchat or TikTok compared to UGC ads. For a channel like Google or Google slash YouTube slash UAC or Meta, I see a more even split between the asset types, UGC versus um, like high quality motion graphics things. So um, you will have to mm, think about the type of assets that will be in your production house as you expand into other channels. Yeah, it, it, hit, it hits me too because, you know, I, I manage a creative production process where we are developing ads for Facebook, uh, YouTube, TikTok, Snap, Twitter, TV, Discovery. And one of the things that I've noticed is that I've tried to get the best bang for my buck, meaning that I will try to de develop a vertical ad and then repurpose that amongst TikTok, YouTube shorts, Snapchat, Instagram reels. And sometimes there's nuances. I also find that a lot of folks kind of want to take this TikTokification to everywhere else. And so you see YouTube ads that have that kind of TikTok feel and, and things like that. And it doesn't always work. So you definitely need to test. Yeah, for sure. Um, and if, you, if you're just starting off and you're not running a ton of channels, um, I think Meta is probably the channel that you should start running on first and scale on first. What we did at Calm was every winning ad that we found on Facebook, we would just resize into YouTube 16 by nine. Not the best, um, it, it won't always hit for YouTube, but that might be the most cost-effective way for uh, newer advertisers that are thinking about creative testing on other channels to, to approach is just test on Meta first and then resize winners, um, localize them to other languages um, that, that might be the most cost-effective way for creative testing for them. Yeah, for sure. It's also just a, a matter of scaling, right? As you said, if you are a startup that is spending $100,000 a month on in your paid media mix and you're primarily on you know, Google paid search, maybe UAC or, or you know, a little bit of, of Facebook, it's a little bit different than if you're spending $5 million a month 
and you're on all these different channels, at that point, you really do need to think about, hey, should we be creating individually for these, these, um, these different channels? And it's all testing too. And sometimes you think something's going to work and, and it doesn't. Still, some of the top performing ads that I personally developed have been these very grainy UGC testimonial style assets from customers that literally came from us sending out an email to an to a, a list of customers. Hey, we want to hear about your experience. Film this in front of your phone. And sometimes the copy that they come up with and what they're saying is better than anything that I could come up with, a copywriter could come up with, ChatGPT could come up with. So um, yeah, I feel like bringing that authenticity into it um, can be can be great as well. Oh yeah, um, that's a that's a mine like a gold mine if you can kind of ping your customers for testimonials. And I've seen other advertisers like Noom do this, where they do a testimonial stack where they just have a visual hook and then they'll have a sequence of testimonials from five of their customers where they talk about their transformation. Oh, I lost 70 pounds in four, four months. And then, so those kind of things are super valuable for, for a brand. Yeah. And if you're a brand that is looking to, to do something like this, I think a, a really good framework could be think about your, uh, your products, think about the main value props or features, and then build out a testimonial collection process and categorize testimonials based on different value props, different products, different features. And then you kind of have this gold mine to, as you said, if, you, um, if you're new and you wanna focus on the meditation portion of your product, you can pull three meditation focused testimonials or if it's waste loss or whatever it is. Um, I think you know, that, could, that helps smaller startups, that can help even scale startups to build this like treasure trove of different data and copy to to use yeah yeah and i think i saw an article recently well a few months ago from i think ad age where some companies are starting to scale back their ugc um spend and and outreach because it's combination of things influencers being more uh expensive to work with people might be sick and tired of seeing inauthentic UGC ads. So that's where some a tactic like this, where you have actual customer testimonials, um, you know, resonating. For sure. And you can potentially also turn these customers into influencers in a way by setting up affiliate programs and, and things like that. You know, everyone wants to talk about influencer marketing and if you want to work with the influencers that have 500,000 subscribers on YouTube, you're actually going to pay a premium CPM for that. But if you can find a way to set up like a unique organic program where it's a referral program and the same people that are submitting testimonials can easily share that in their social networks and they get a little bit of a, a commission for that. I think that's a little scalable product. Yeah. Hey, that's brilliant. Um, I'm also thinking they could, part of the program, you can have a sort of inf, uh, influencer whitelisting where they whitelist their page for you to run like your ads off of if they, if they're part of that too. I've heard Facebook say you get a few years ago, they said you get 17% more incremental reach from influencer whitelisting. Um, 
though that's going to kind of open up a whole other can of worms with all the outreach and, and working with influencers. Um, a few years ago, um, we talked with BetterHelp, who do a, they do a lot of influencer whitelisting, and they have a whole team dedicated just for that. Um, so it works. It's just you have to figure it out for your own brand. Right. And it takes time. Um, I want to move towards your kind of thoughts on creative testing. We've, we've talked a lot about it a little bit, um, but you know, with, with, with clients that you're working with at Parabolica, if, if you're kind of onboarding a, a client and they're saying, Hey, we want to build a complete, you know, ad creative, uh, strategy, uh, a roadmap. Um, do you have a specific process where you go and think about how do I come up with kind of a, a creative testing roadmap? What's your philosophy there? Yeah, uh, I usually walk clients through a four-week um, creative testing framework that will hone in on their top performing messages and value props and visual concepts. So um, on, in the first week, I like to start with the overall message that they're putting out there. It could be, um, you know, for instance, if they're uh, an app that talks about captions and tele a teleprompter app, we want to hone in on why people want to use the teleprompter feature. Um, and with that, we can test five different hooks in the first week. Second week, we find the winning hook, test five different visual concepts. Week three, we find the top visual concept with the top hook. Let's iterate on script. Um, week four, we have the top script, top visual concept, top text hook. Let's iterate on the format. It could be a 9x16, 4x5. There's different ways that you can frame the video or the image. So I, I think of it in a very modular way. And I think a lot of people in the industry that are very good at performance marketing tend to think of this as well where you have a text hook, visual hook, you have your sequence following that, you're gonna have a call to action. And within the sequence, you can have all sorts of um, fun with the message, um, the backgrounds, all that kind of stuff, sounds, music. Um, so with that, you also need a very comprehensive ad naming convention. So you can tag all the things that you're tagging. Because what what doesn't get measured doesn't get improved. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to think in a very similar uh, fashion. Um, you have different personas, different value props, different products. Uh, the list goes on, and there's a lot of ways to to slice the data. Um, you know, focusing on hooks for a second, because to me generative AI is a very unique way to come up with engaging visuals that hook that customer in. Obviously, we want to kind of talk when we're thinking about testing and experimentation. We don't want to start with 10 hooks. We maybe want to pick three to five. Um, is there a way that you kind of thinking about like prioritizing hooks based on, on impact? Are there specific Templates or categories that you end up 
going with consistently? Man, great question. Overall, um, I bucket visual hooks in eight to 10 categories. You're going to have your abstract. You're going to have your nature. You're going to have your, your cutting, um, live action, UGC type visual hooks. I bucket the AI ones into the more, it could be bucketed into the abstract portion because it excels at the abstract. Um, so within the abstract, the way I prioritize, and I do this a, a few ways, but a pro tip is I have ChatGPT help me. Um, but another way is from the intuition that I've gathered from testing all these visual hooks, a lot of, very important thing would be the colors in, in the visual. Um, I've seen ve like very light purples, lavenders, do well, black and orange colors do well. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that AI really excels at abstract. And if you need inspiration to come up with AI visual concepts, I also like to go to prompt libraries. There's something called Prompt Hero. There is something called Lexica Art where you can browse different um, AI visuals. And so when I have a new client, I like to just browse these different libraries uh, and land on a few visual concepts that I think, oh man, this is, I would love to test this sort of visual as a visual hook. And, you know, sometimes it won't work and other times you might be surprised like this, this actually works. So it again goes back to testing. For sure. You know, one of the biggest challenges that I see with these, uh, AI generated ads and kind of talked about a little bit is the ability to remain on brand. Um, I want to talk a, a little bit about that. So, you know, it sounds like some of the brands that you're working with may be a little bit more open to testing different colors and, and, and different things like that. But I wonder more from a perspective of, you know, an established brand that has kind of their their fonts, their logo, their brand colors, their overall um, messaging, their audience. How are these inputs uh, taken into account when developing AI-generated ads? Is most of it available today? And is that where it's evolving? Because, right, like... What I, a lot of the AI stuff I see might be, okay, let's make a, a, a Bill Clinton, but he's an alien or something like that, right? It's just a bad example. But I wonder, will we be in a world in the, in the next you know three to five years where I give something an input, here's the brand logo, here's our customer base, here's our demographics, here, here's all this data, give me something, spit something out, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, right now, I can I can say that if I want to create something on brand for a company, there's a way for me to take um, the colors from an image and start the diffusion process from those brand colors. Sort of like what I did for 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 efficient spend for your ad. I took an image and then I used the forum 
and I set the starting image as your um, image. And I play around with the different um, strength values and, and things like that. And I play around with the camera settings and what happens is it takes the colors from that image and then it'll apply the prompt on top of that. So the brand colors is um, something that you can take into account right now. The logo and the text font and things like that, that's something that I apply um, post. So I use Canva to do things like that. Um, I think now I kind of alluded to using ChatGPT to come up with visual ideas for, for a company and a website. You can throw in, can you generate some text prompts that are visually aligned to this website. And ChatGPT will do its best. Sometimes it, it won't quite work, but it could come up with some you know, visual inspiration for you. I think the human in the middle is still needed right now, maybe forever, hopefully forever. <laughs> hopefully AI will not replace us, um, but I, I see very soon there might be even within the year i see there's a possibility to use ai um, to kind of run this whole process i don't know if you've heard of autonomous agents uh, there's something called auto gpt hugging face has come up with um, transformers agents where you give the ai five goals and the ai will break your goals down into tasks and it will execute on the tasks autonomously. Um, I've tested it two months ago. I tested auto GPT cause I was fascinated and I was very scared and worried right now. It comes with some memory issues. Um, the context window and like the token amount gets to a certain extent where it breaks down and it, Another problem is it loops itself into a hole. Um, but I think the idea is there and I've heard of some people doing pretty cool things with autonomous agents. And in one of my posts uh, two months ago, I kind of theorized that with autonomous agents, you can have a creative strategist agent. You can have a media buying agent that hooks up to the Facebook API. You can have um, copywriting agent that browses Google um, browses your competitors and scrapes, you know, their ad library or something. So I think the ideas and the building blocks are there for something like this to happen, which is kind of scary. Um, you know, just, just theorizing, but I think the, the concept is definitely there and at the rate of advancement that we're experiencing you know, a three to five year time horizon could come within a year. For sure. Yeah. I find myself trying to use chat GPT more and more. I'm, I'm not as much on the, um, on the art side or, or creative side, but there are a number of tasks now where I think to myself, AI will be able to, to do this just as an example. I'm in Q3 planning and am working on our creative development roadmap and we have a few associates on the team and I'm having them work on a competitor analysis. And it's very simple, right? 
go to Facebook ads library for these competitors, give me their primary value prop, their differential, our differentiator, what are some takeaways, et cetera, et cetera. I think things like that, that are kind of prompt base, here's a job to, to do on this data, seems like something that should be able to be heavily automated. Similarly to campaign management, you know, I, I think a lot of guesswork will be taken out of when should I pause this ad? When should I launch this ad? When should I add budget into this campaign? Right now, it's challenging because a lot of data lives um, in isolation and in black boxes, essentially. Um, and it's probably going to stay that that way for a while. So, you know, if you're talking about like optimizing a media mix towards incrementality, uh, you can't really develop rules around Facebook that are informed by data from paid search and Google just yet. Um, but I guess there's tools that that could be possible there. Um, but it's it's very exciting stuff. And I think on the on the creative space, it could it's going to reduce costs a lot. It's going to reduce headcount for teams. And that's kind of a question I wanted to ask you, which is, you know, if if talking about a startup or, or company that might allocate a certain percentage of their budget, their marketing budget towards production costs, does AI generative kind of creative and companies like Parabolica allow them to kind of reduce costs there? And if so, how? I think generative AI technologies as a whole will allow companies to be more productive with the same costs. So you can train your designer to leverage these tools to become 10x more creative and productive. Going back to my point, I think earlier in the podcast about UGC and, and 3D motion graphics and AI all having their own place in, in performance creative. I think part of the reason why I started writing weekly on Substack is I want to catch people, marketers up on the latest developments in AI so they don't get left behind. You know, there's a lot of doom and gloom about AI displacing workers and I see the dangers I want to think more optimistically and um, I like to see the technology as a, a 10xer because I've seen that for me where it's 10x my output um, creatively. It's allowed me to be more creative and, and even, you know, learn things about other artists that I've never learned about. I've rendered 3D visuals with Blender when I was at Calm, so I know the whole thing. And there's even a way I've heard someone using ChatGPT to write a script for Blender to create an oddly satisfying visual. So you can do things like that with AI and, and Blender. Um, yeah, so I guess it's a very long-winded answer to say it's a very positive force and companies should embrace it, um, come up with programs for their designers and marketers to embrace AI, ChatGPT, or um, Stable Diffusion, MidJourney, because it's it's not going to go away. It's only going to get better and stronger and faster. And so companies need to keep up. 
would I be correct in, in assuming that it will innovate more so on kind of either static or animated ads, more illustrative stuff, and there will still be a place for UGC? That's the, that's the big question. With companies like Runway ML, they have a Gen 2 model where it's pure text-to-video. You can say, uh, you can write a prompt, someone walking into a coffee shop. Right now, it's very early stages. It gets the faces wrong. It gets limbs and hands and, and, and things wrong. But it's so early. I, I remember last year, text-to-image was similar where you get weird faces and hands and things. But within a year, we were able to fix that. So with text-to-video, pure text-to-video, I think the capability is there, but it has to overcome that human sense of the uncanny valley. And I don't know if it's possible to do it. It, it might be possible that a robot, an AI-generated thing could fool a human into thinking it's a human. I remember reading an article maybe yesterday or two days ago, ChatGPT was able to fool like 60% of people into thinking thinking it's human with some basic like prompts, you know, throw some typos in here and there or like just, you know, be a little bit more rude and then humans suddenly thought that, <laughs> thought that it was a human. So yeah, it's it'll be an interesting time for sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, I still think about like the the primary use cases, and I just want to go back on that a little bit. Um, do you have the ability to also include, you know, for example, if you're a app and you say, "I want to create an, I want to create different variations of an ad with my brand font, my brand colors, and I want to use this app UI." Does it have the ability to to do that now, or it's it's challenging for me because I I tend to see it as being like very abstract at this moment, um, and I think to myself like, what are the inputs I can give it to? If I know you know I want to test these five value props and make me a combination of these assets, you know, I think it's possible. It just hasn't been built for advertising yet. I, there are use cases for Figma website design where designers can now text to prompt or text to image something that they, they want and the AI will design something for them. So the app UI concept can be directly transferable from those technologies. Um, and right now, I think you're right in that it excels in the abstract. There are ways where advertisers with, for example, a physical product can fine tune the stable diffusion model to uh, prompt their own product. So I've done this with something called Dream Booth. So I uploaded 15 images of a Lego piece and um, Dream Booth will train stable diffusion and what you can do then is you can say, 
I want a photo of product and it'll generate a photo of your product or I want an oil, uh, an oil painting of product and it'll, you know, generate an oil painting of your product. So um, it's still a little wonky dream booth, but you have to engineer the prompts uh, in certain ways where you have to weight the product with little brackets around the prompt to really tell the AI that I really want to emphasize the product, but the the capabilities are are there, and even with the large language models now and the the diffusion models now, we're still. I don't think we've even hit the max capabilities yet, because I hear of people still pushing the limits on GPT four with chain of, chain of thought prompting and and things like that. That you know bumps up the accuracy rate of GPT-4 even more. So, yeah. We are in very early innings right now. And just as a, you know, example of that, I work with multiple production partners. I consider myself to be uh, up, up to date on what is going on in the world of ads and, and ad creative. And you know, I don't see mass adoption yet, right? It's it's still it's still very early on. Do you even know any like larger brands, well-known brands that you've seen AI generated ads from? Um, Coca Cola did one a few months ago. Uh, McDonald's did one a few months ago. Um, Coca Cola used Stable Diffusion. Um, they did a behind-the-scenes look maybe a few weeks ago. And I would say that maybe 10% of their ad was stable diffusion based. There was a lot of like green screen and things like that. Coca-Cola, um, no, uh, McDonald's, sorry. They did a neural radiance field ad. Um, the shorthand is Nerf, where you can film something with your camera and the AI will generate a 3D scene and that will allow you to do any amount of reshoots that you want because you already have the 3d scene generated by ai um so coca-cola and mcdonald's are two big brands that have already tested ai concepts wow yeah i'll definitely have to check those out and Hopefully there's a, we can, we can find a link or something to that and, and can link it in the, in the show notes. Um, yeah, I can send you. Awesome. So I know that we're, we're kind of, um, you know, getting close to, to wrapping up. I have a couple of final questions that, that I ask all my guests. The, the first is, you know, you've been managing uh, paid media and been involved in the paid media space for, for some time now. What is the most efficient spend that that you've had personally on on paid ads? Oh, probably very low spending Facebook um, ads, um, where you see, oh my god, I have like twenty row ads. Um, but once you start spending more, you know it's gonna hit diminishing returns and, and all that. So I I think Facebook has been some of my most efficient spend. What about most inefficient spend? You're going to hate me for saying this, but 
it could be either Tabula or Reddit. Um, Tabula is like, um, I forgot what it's called, like native. Um, and Reddit is a platform. But after iOS 14, I had really, really a hard problem, hard time scaling Reddit. Um, so it was a big waste of money. Yeah. A lot of those channels were not set up for iOS 14. And still, if you look at some of the, the largest channels, Facebook, I think more than any other channel is, is set up to be optimized for SCAD network. They're actually the only channel that you can run a SCAD network campaign optimized towards value, optimized towards ROI. TikTok doesn't have that capability. Google doesn't have that capability. Um, Twitter doesn't have that capability. Snap doesn't have that capability, which is kind of interesting. This change that Apple made that the advertisers that took advantage of it and actually like built on it are able to, to profit off of it. So yeah, and completely agree with you. I manage a larger media mix now, so there's not too much of those launching a campaign and seeing 20 ROAS because we have so much penetration in the market and things like that. But it is funny when you work for kind of like a smaller company and you turn something on and they're not spending any money uh, and you're spending, you know, a hundred bucks a day or whatever it is. And you see conversions come in right away and you're like, wow, this is, uh, this is great. Well, um, awesome. This has been, this has been great Manson. And yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Paul. It was a pleasure. And hopefully we can do this again soon.